What's going on, guys? Hope you all are doing well. Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. This is episode number 33, and this is going to be a fun one. I'm going to talk about why negative splitting a marathon is overrated. Before I get into that, uh, and I'm also going to talk on um, how to fuel yourself during your marathons. Before I jump into both of those subjects though, I want to tell you guys a little bit about some training I've been doing. I've been really, really interested and focused on mental training for myself in particular about disciplining my thought life. Um, like it says in the Bible that you should hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so that's something that I've been aware of and been quote unquote working on my entire life. You know, I have always known it's important, but I've been actually like doing exercises to try to improve my mental focus and my mental, not, I don't, I don't want to say uh, control of my thoughts, but awareness of my thoughts and ability to be able to focus my thoughts. I've kind of started to shift my view of my thought life as looking at it as fire you know fire can be a really powerful thing when it's controlled when it's put in the right environment you know we can use it to make all kinds of amazing tools and you know fire is just used all across the board to to develop some really amazing products right but it can also be a forest fire and just burn and burn and be completely out of control right and so i don't know about you guys but sometimes i feel like my mind is like a forest fire like my thoughts are just, I'm driving and they're pinballing from one thing to the other thing and just all over the map and just really not disciplined in my thought life very well. Whereas, you know, in certain categories, I think I'm better than others. Like when I'm lifting weights or back in the day when I was running and competing, like I was very good in my thought life while I was performing those activities. So you guys might have something similar where you're like, well, man, when I'm at work, I'm dialed in and I can focus on what I'm doing. And that's kind of me. Like when I want to be focused, I can be focused. But when I'm not doing something that I'm super passionate about, my mind just has a tendency to be very undisciplined in what I'm thinking about and the story that I'm telling myself about myself. So I want to get better at controlling my thought life. So um, I've had to come up with some kind of innovative ways to use my time extra well. I don't know about you guys, but with this coronavirus, now I have my kids home for the remainder of the school year and all summer. And those precious like six to eight hours of free time that I used to have, during the weekdays to do all things with like run free and business and training with Sarah and I'll have just like gone out the window and now I'm doing Spanish and world religions class and all kinds of tutoring and stuff and man my respect for stay-at-home moms and for especially homeschooling parents has just gone through the roof I don't know how or why people would choose to do this voluntarily but you all who do that have very special hearts and you have a special place in heaven waiting for you. Um, so anyways, I've had to get creative in, in using my time well and kind of, it's funny, I'm talking about controlling my mind. Now, now I'm, I'm multitasking while I'm controlling my mind. It just kind of doesn't make sense. But anyways, I came up with this exercise and I want you guys to try this a little bit of homework for you guys, but don't worry, it's not gonna cost you any extra time if you drink a warm beverage in the morning. 
So I did this a couple mornings ago. I was wanting to do an exercise to work on my mental focus. So I got my cup of coffee and my bu uh, my buddy Steve, he made me a 40 ounce coffee mug because he's into pottery and stuff. It's this awesome like giant coffee mug just so I can ease my guilt. So I only drink half a, half a cup of coffee every morning out of his special 40 ounce coffee mug. So anyways, I'm sitting down with my coffee and nice and quiet, got up early so I could get some quietness. And uh, I was drinking my coffee and I had my journal with me. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do what something I used to do when I was a professional runner pre-kids is I had this uh, flavor profile wheel for coffee tasting. And so it has like all these different flavors you're looking for, tobacco, like soil, like all these like really random flavors that I wouldn't normally look for. And so you, as you're drinking your coffee, you're trying to like pick out like the nuances of the flavor that you're tasting or maybe it's the smell of it and you're trying to pick out how it smells, you know? So I got like super into coffee. This was because I was injured and I couldn't run. and just needed a hobby to kind of put myself into it. So I started roasting my own coffee. Like I got really, really into it. So anyways, um, I used to sit down and that's what I do. I drink my coffee. I was trying to like pick out the flavor profiles. And what I loved about that is it made me super present when I was drinking my coffee and it made me really taste it. Cause now, you know, I swapped out that flavor profile wheel for a pancake spatula. And now when I'm drinking my coffee, I'm flipping pancakes and I finished my coffee and Sarah's like, man, that coffee was so good. I'm like, yeah, I didn't really taste that. Cause I was like flipping pancakes and talking to kids and doing stuff with the dogs and I didn't even taste my coffee really it tasted like coffee you know I don't know if any guys can relate to that but that's that's kind of how I've been since entering parent land and uh so anyways now with the kids out of school I just blend up their pancakes in a blender make it every morning but then I haven't been making it so I sit down I enjoy my coffee and have my journal with me and so this exercise I want you guys to try is I want you to try drinking whatever it is the hot beverage that you drink in the mornings and by yourself sit down with your journal and I want you to only try to enjoy savor and fully be present in drinking that hot beverage and think of nothing else like no other thoughts like your only thought should be about you trying to be grateful for this warm beverage enjoy this warm beverage notice everything about this warm beverage how it makes you feel if you're drinking coffee you're starting to wake up and the nuances of the flavor um, how it feels as it's entering into your body and going down into your stomach just like try to pay attention to the smallest detail of drinking your morning beverage. So as you do this, what I want you to do is write, have a pad and just write down every single thought that comes into your mind that is not related to you enjoying your beverage and thinking about the flavor of your beverage, the temperature of your beverage, all that stuff like I already talked about, all right? So you're gonna write down every thought that you have that is not related to drinking your beverage. So I thought it'd be kind of fun. Um, I, I thought I'd read to you guys my thoughts, and this won't take too long. And uh, as I was reading these, it's kind of comical to like read your thoughts aloud, you know, like just how your mind bounces around. So anyways, this is what I was thinking. And, and this took place over a period of probably like 10 minutes it took me to drink my coffee. So this wasn't like I was never thinking about the flavor and goodness of my coffee, but this, these were all my deviations from that. So here we go. So uh, I was thinking about splitting up breakfast around lifting this morning, which I eat gummy bears and whey after sourdough toast and whey before. 
Uh, what does it what does it take to focus the mind practicing 24 7 I'm going to let the puppy in I can hold it while I do this exercise man he's really cute if I let him in all the dogs are going to go crazy so this was at 6 a.m. too and everyone was asleep so I was trying to keep the dogs like quiet but trying to keep six puppies quiet plus three other dogs is like mission impossible anyways back to my thoughts <laughs> um, I need to uh, message back Yop. He's a buddy of mine in Holland. Uh, I need to anchor myself in my breath. The breath is the very breath of God. I should eat breakfast. I should try and lift before the run. The dogs are restless. The puppies are going to be loud and fighting with kind dash when I let them in. What exercise should I do after this? Free write, meditate with calm. I suck at this. I should go back to meditating in the sauna. I should have the girls do this. They would laugh at how our minds wander. It'd be good for them. I should talk about this in my podcast. The beginning of the change always begins with awareness. At least I'm aware that my mind is constantly uh, bouncing around like a pinball machine. I really need to get better at this. What is that line about how long it takes to fully appreciate a moment for it to truly set into your mind memory and whatever it is? So there you go, <laughs> a moment into my mind while drinking coffee. I was amazed at how difficult this was, you know, because you have your moments where you have like 10 seconds where all you're thinking about is your coffee, and you're just like, yeah, dude, this is easy, I got this. Pretty soon, like, my mind was just all over the map, as you can tell from what I was writing. And one thing that was interesting, a little comment on my thought in there was saying I suck at this, and that you know there's some truth in that and it's really important to like get those thoughts out on paper and be like yeah like i'm actually kind of hard on myself sometimes you know and as you get out on paper you can also too like process it and be like yeah like there's a lot of truth in there like i obviously i do kind of suck at this in the moment but that's why i'm doing this this is why we're training our mind and this is all a part of it and that's one of the things i've really learned a lot through meditation is like the exercise is actually pulling your mind back when it wanders. So it's okay for your mind to wander, but the, you know you're getting good, not because your mind never wanders, but because you can pull it back quickly, right? And that just comes from training and awareness. And um, So anyways, that was a really kind of fun exercise that didn't cost me any extra time that's beginning to help me to teach to be aware of my thoughts and to be able to focus on one thing and one thing only, which is super, super powerful when it comes to racing, when it comes to training, um, cause I don't know about you guys. Sometimes when I'm working out, my mind can be, I'm like lifting weights and I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for breakfast or what I'm going to do that day. And then you're no longer, your, your mind and body connection is completely lost. And that is so, so important that we're not just aimlessly out there running or lifting weights or whatever we're doing, but we're actually focused in our, our mind and our, mu and our muscles are connected so so important so this is one way we can train our mind and muscle connection so try out that exercise uh, next time you have a warm beverage let me know what you guys think and now let's get into today's topic so today's topic comes from when we onboard our athletes we have them do a very long questionnaire and we hit on a lot of different topics one of which is mental and there's a lot of self-assessment that goes on in there and it's super helpful i think not only for us as coaches to get to know our athletes really well before we start working with them but also for the athletes to do some self-assessment and 
Um, one of the responses that I read in a recent athlete intake form was about the need to learn to negative split races. And so in my response to her, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like it can be a really good thing to negative split races, but I actually don't think that's the fastest way to run a marathon. So that's what I want to jump into today because I think there is this kind of perception out there that the best way to run a marathon is to negative split it. And I really don't think that is the case. With that said, I am not saying that you should never negative split a marathon. And if you guys, real quick, if you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about, what is negative splitting? It's just when you run the second half of the marathon faster than you ran the first half, right? So you're getting faster as you go. Um, so I'm not saying you should never negative split a marathon. Real quick, I'll run through some scenarios in which case you should negative split your marathon. Number one is when you're not that confident. Um, you know, if you're very unsure of your fitness level and you're just being real and honest with yourself, you're just like, I'm just not very confident, then you should go out a little bit more conservative and make sure you're still feeling pretty decent uh, at that halfway mark. Also, if you're new to the marathon, that'd be a, a good way to run as well um, because you've never been there before. You don't know what it feels like to be at mile 20 and there can be a lot of mental uneasiness with that. And sometimes you just want to err on the side of caution and have a really good first experience. I think that's really important with your choosing your first marathon even. Like I debuted at the London Marathon and all the time we'll see pros who are really good pros and they'll go to and nothing i love new york city marathon i love boston marathon those are two of my favorite marathons out there but honestly guys i don't think those are the places to go to debut for a pro or for just your regular guy like running 26.2 miles for the first time is hard enough as it is without throwing yourself into a bunch of hills a bunch of downhills they're just going to beat the heck out of your legs so um for people who are debuting, I would suggest go find a flat, fast course and go out conservatively for the first half. And that's one of the few times you'll hear me say that because I love being aggressive with the marathon. Uh, but go out conservative and try negative split it. That will be a really fun way to run. Um, another time when you should negative split or try to negative split your next marathon is uh, if you want to feel really good. And I'm gonna get into this a little bit later. I'm gonna talk about my own experience with negative splitting the marathon. Uh, and the next time when you might want to negative split a marathon is when uh, the course demands it, you know? So if you are running, let's say, a really uh, fast second half marathon where it's maybe slight, slightly downhill, then of course you should be negative splitting your marathon running that second half a lot faster. And when it comes real quick, when it comes to courses, guys, like courses like Boston Marathon, you should be running even effort on these hilly courses. Um, Boston is opposite where it's a little bit flat and fast. I mean, not flat and fast, a little bit downhill and fast that first half. And then that second half, you know, is when the hills and Newton come and can be a lot more challenging that second half. So that's, you should be running even effort on those courses. So the same effort, whether you're going downhill or uphill. So of course, if Boston, you should be coming through the half way faster than you run the second half. If you've even split Boston, then you just left a whole bunch of time on the table um, over the first half of that marathon, in my opinion. Um, so those are the times when you should think about, yeah, like I should try and negative split this marathon. If you're looking to run your max potential, if you're trying to run as fast as you possibly can, 
I firmly believe the best way to do that is to run even. And I think this is really easy to illustrate, right guys? Like look at the sub two project. Like when he's when Kipchoge is trying to break two hours for the marathon, they weren't like, all right, let's go out in like 60-30 and try and negative split it a little bit, come home a little bit quicker and break two hours. No, like they put it right on the pace, right? Right on two hour pace the entire way. There was no I mean, of course, if he can negative split it, you know, and he did when he did break two, he sped up the last, I think, mile or so. I think, he, I think he like ripped his last 800, which was pretty incredible and shows that there's even more there. Um, but the fastest way to run a marathon is even pacing. And this goes back to what I talked about, I think it was a few podcasts ago when I was talking about threshold, threshold running. So if you think about when you uh, run a marathon, like there's, there is a magic pace that you can run on that day and that you can hold for 26.2 miles. There is that threshold line. And so your goal is to just get right under it, right? And then if you can, at the end, you try and pick it up a little bit. But you want to find your threshold and just park it there the whole time. And that's going to be your way to run the fastest marathon as is illustrated by the fact that whenever guys try to set world records in the marathon or even on the track in 800 meters they actually try to they positive split it so their first lap their first 400 is way faster than their second 400 and i'm going to talk about that here in a second i think that's the second fastest way to run a marathon is actually a slight positive split but anyways back to the even splitting so you want to just find your threshold and just park it right there and be at your threshold the whole way. And I like to think about it this way with weightlifting, actually. So say if we're doing squatting, right, and you have what you think is your max lift on, on the bar, and you go down into the squat and you're into that full bottom position, that's the hardest part, right, is like at the bottom. It's called the hole in the squat and that's where it's hardest to move the weight well in the marathon the hardest part of the marathon we all know comes from mile 13 to 23 about i mean it doesn't really get easier after 23 but it really starts to hit you at a certain point in the race and it can vary anywhere from 13 to 20 to even 23 if you do your fueling really really well but some part at some point in the race you're going to be maxed out and just doing everything you can to keep putting one foot in front of the other as fast as you can so back to my analogy if you think what you you have on your back is your max squat and you go into your hole if you can have someone add weight while you're at the bottom and you can still get that weight to the top, it just means you weren't really at your max. Like you were functioning below your max and then the fact that you could get out of the hole with even more weight just shows that you really could have done that more weight, right? So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but what I'm saying is if you're running a negative split race, really like you're kind of running way below your threshold because my point is running 26.2 miles is hard and it's hard no matter what pace you run. Like I don't care if you're running a six hour marathon or if you're running a two hour and 15 minute marathon, everyone at mile 20 or 23 or 15, everyone is tired and it is hard for anyone to change gears at that point. So if you're able to change gears in that really hard sticking point it's simply because you've been running far below your threshold and so you have a ton of extra energy left 
So quick example from my career of my experience when I, my only experience of negative splitting a marathon came in the 2007 Olympic trials. It was the trials for 2008, but it happened in 2007. So in that race, championship style race, and that would actually be another reason to negative split a race is if it's a championship style race and you guys go out slow as we did. So I think we came through the first half in like 66 minutes. And to be honest with you guys, like I didn't feel that good. I was like, I hope we're running faster in this because this doesn't feel that easy to me. And that's because oftentimes when you're not at threshold and so you're like kind of, I call it like sub max threshold, you actually, it's almost like um, car racing where it evens out, you know, it can be like a little bit like wobbly and shaky at a certain speed. And then you like hit another speed and when it gets into its nice smooth rhythm and it gets smooth again, right? And so when you're running sub threshold, oftentimes you won't feel that good. And that's how I was. I came through the half and I was like, oh man, hope I started feeling better, you know? And there was like five or six of us around in a group at that point. And um, it wasn't until I started moving at, I think it was, it was with one lap to go, so around mile 20. And again, the only reason why I was able to change gears like that at mile 20, because that was the only time in all my marathons at mile 20 where I actually picked it up. The only reason was because I was running far below my threshold, right? And so I was able to change gears because I wasn't at my max uh, potential threshold early on in the race. So I changed gears and then I started feeling amazing because I was like back in my threshold, back running that effort level I was used to running all the time in training. So then I think I ended up running my second half in like 62 and change and ran 209 low, which it felt amazing and that was one of my points with uh, a time when you might want to negative split your marathon is it just if you want to have a really fun experience like i will say negative splitting a marathon is the most fun way that you can run a marathon like you'll never feel better than when you're negative splitting a marathon like i i did not feel tired at all in that second half i felt better as I went when I got to the finish line I had tons of energy I was interacting with the crowd and like it was it was cool it was one of the most amazing experiences of my marathoning career yet it was not my best performance in terms of just like evaluating like what I did on the day physically speaking so it was super super fun but it was not as fast as I could have run I was definitely left a whole bunch of time on the table on that race and not to like be like, oh, I could have run so much faster, but like I was, I could have run a lot faster. <laughs> um, so there's a time and place for that, guys, and that's okay. If you're just like, man, I just want to have that experience where you're going and mile 20, you're picking up the pace and you're like giving people high fives and feeling amazing. You finish a race and you're like, oh, I want to go do that again. Like there's a time and place for that. And so like, don't feel bad about that. I am definitely not saying you should never try to negative split a marathon the only thing i'm saying is that it is not the fastest way to run a marathon so you know i'm really glad i had that one experience of negative splitting a marathon because it was one of the most special fun memories of my career in terms of marathon running so if you want to feel amazing negative splitting is definitely the way to go but you can see, like, so I ran 209 low, and it was a hilly course and tough course, but then I came back six months.
months later, no, it wasn't even six months, it was like four months later, and ran 206.17 in London, and we like hit this crazy storm at mile 23, like could have run like 205. So you can see why I felt so good, right? Because really like I was probably in 206, 205 shape. And so when you're on 209, when you're in 205 or 206 shape, it feels really, really good, right? So that's what I'm trying to get across is the way to run the fastest is to just park it right at your threshold. And it, you, that is not the most fun way to run a marathon though. Like you will be suffering, you will be hurting. Like when I ran uh, 206 and 204, both of those were slightly positive splits and I felt like death with six miles to go. But at the same time, so here's the, all right, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. All right, so before uh, athletes would run at the New York City Marathon. A6 would always bring me out to the New York City Marathon. Coach Caster, so he's married to Dina Caster, and we're good friends with him, trained with uh, him and Dean up in Mammoth for a whole bunch of years. They kind of brought us up, brought me up in the sport of marathoning, so owe a ton to them. Uh, but anyways, Dina was always coaching these A6 athletes, and so we'd have this breakfast the morning before the race, and or a couple mornings before. We'd go for a little shakeout jog and then give little talks. And I'd always talk right before... Uh, Andrew would talk and we had this kind of like ongoing thing for like 10 years straight where I would get up and I'd always be and I'm talking to his athletes right so he'd always have to patch us up after I'd get up and speak to him but I'd be like listen guys like this is physics it's a lot easier to slow down to, than to speed up like I think it's like Newton's like second law or first law didn't do very well in physics class but one of his laws where he's like an object in motion wants to remain in motion right so i always tell people like just go out fast and then just try to hold the pace and like don't slow down or it's much easier to slow down than to try and pick it up at mile 20 and i was kind of joking but it's kind of easier to run fast by slowing down a little bit over that last say six miles and obviously that's never the goal i'm never out running that last six miles being like okay i'm gonna slow down a little bit but i do want to tell you guys about my experience when i ran 204 at boston because in that race i went out even faster than when i ran london we came through the half in i think it was like 61.50, and uh it was so fast and remember we had the tailwind so that was definitely pushing us along and helping us but um when the race director he was on the motorcycle dave mcgivery and I don't know if I told this story on the podcast. Forgive me if I told this before, but uh, he was on the motorcycle, lead motorcycle, and he saw our split coming through the half. So he radioed his his uh, guys who are in charge of the time. He's like, hey, you guys messed up the clock. It said like 61.50. And they're like, no, nah, that was right. They're <laughs> coming through in 61. So we went out super, super hard, right? And uh, and I was leading the charge on that. And they're the positive of and i'm talking about the third scenario of going out a little bit hard and then doing a slight positive split and remember really slight not not like a four minute positive split like like you run the second half maybe a minute slower than this the first half so and you're not even really intentionally i, I wasn't like i'm a positive split this race it was more like okay i'm gonna be aggressive i'm gonna run at where I think my threshold is, but I'm going to be, you know, where you think your threshold is, 
is a little bit of a guess, right? And so you're like, I'm gonna kind of guess on the like risky side this time, and I'm gonna kind of get after it a little bit. And so that was my mentality that day in Boston. So anyways, we come to the half in 61.50, and I learned, actually I learned this from like watching one of Jim Ryan's, um, he's like a hero of mine growing up, uh, silver medalist in 1500, world record holder, like amazing, amazing runner back in his day, like well before his time. Anyways, I learned from watching one of his videos, he was being interviewed and he talked about, he always saw when he'd come through faster than expected, he'd see it as a positive thing rather than like letting it scare him. Like so many people often do, you're like, oh man, I just came through like two minutes faster than I was scheduled to, than my coach told me to or whatever. Now like, oh man, I'm gonna like blow up big time here, you know? And like, you might not actually think that, but you know what I mean? Like you get kind of worried and tense and like, Ooh, I hope I didn't just shoot myself in the foot here. So anyways, Jim Ryan, he'd always say he'd see it as a positive thing and be like, look, I'm this much ahead of schedule. And so that was kind of my mentality as I saw that split and I saw 61.50. And you gotta remember, I was a 206.17 guy at the time. So I'm running at 203 pace, which is well, well under my PR. And so, you know, I could have been pretty, t uh, you know, filled with, uh, fear at that moment but rather than doing that I just saw it as like oh man I just banked so much time and so literally the whole second half of that race what I was trying to do I was like just break five minutes for the next mile so just to give you a little context like I think I ended up averaging 445 pace I could be wrong on that somewhere right in there right and I was running even fast I think I was averaging like around 440 pace for the first half of that and so I was doing the math in my head and I was just telling myself just break five minutes for the next mile and so trying to just break five minutes when you've been running 440 pace is not very hard even if like you're tying up big time right so I gave myself because I knew I'd banked all this time I was like I can get a big PR here if I break five minutes for the next mile and then break five minutes for the next mile and then so I was giving myself really easy to attain goals after going out super super hard so that I could continue to get momentum and get excited. Because that's one of the big positives of going out hard is you give yourself all kinds of excitement. You're like, whoa, like I am way ahead of schedule. You're looking down, you're seeing every split and you're just like, this is amazing. Now the thing is, it's gotta be coming pretty effortlessly, right? I mean, obviously you're putting out effort, but it doesn't work if you're like, just like sprinting and redlining it. And like, you should be looking down at your watch and seeing your split and being like, that felt like a 450 mile, but my watch just said 440. Like that, and obviously it's gonna be different for everyone depending on what pace you're running. Um, but it should be like that kind of thing where you're like, whoa, I can't believe that felt like that. That felt like how usually a 450 would feel and that was a 440. So that should be kind of how it's clicking and coming to you. It's not like you're like going over the edge and going over your threshold. It's just like you're being aggressive with your threshold. So like I said, you're building momentum as the race is going on. You're getting excited with every single mile split that you see. You're seeing it as like, like I literally add up the seconds in my mind that I've banked. So say like if I'm trying to run a PR, I'm trying to run 206 pace. And I think that's 448 per mile. And so 
when I look down, I see 442. I'm like, ooh, just bank six seconds. Like that's six seconds slower than 448 pace I can run on mile 21. Like that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. And then once you get past halfway and you're getting into the late stages of the race, I'm giving myself really easy to attain goals because I have all this bank time. So I know, hey, I can still hit my goal if I just break five minutes. And then and then I look at my split and it's like 455. And there's two ways to look at that, right? You'd be like, I was just running 440 pace and that was 455. I just slowed down by 15 seconds. Oh man, I'm gonna explode now. Like things are going bad. But rather than that, in my mind, I'm like, all right, I broke, I broke five minutes by five seconds. Like that's five more seconds I just banked, you know? And so like that's kind of, that was literally what was going on in my head, especially over the last six miles of that course. Cause, um, I don't know if you guys remember that race, but the guys went one, two and ran 203 low. I think it was like 20301 or 20302. And so they were running away from me. So it was really easy for me to be like, oh man, I am blowing up. I'm not even gonna make it to the finish line. And I was in a world of pain too, that last, the last 10K. So again, this is not the most fun way to run a marathon, like slight positive split. Even marathon, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna hurt bad the whole time, or I mean the last 10K especially, but it's not the kind of pain that you're gonna experience if you do it this third way where you do a slight positive split. Like you're really going to have to mentally kind of coax yourself into running well over especially that last 10K or 5K. So anyways, when I ran 204, I got to a mile to go, and I remember seeing the split on the clock and it was, is I did the math and it's really nice they have that clock at Boston by the way because oftentimes they'll put a clock in mile 25 and you're like I have 1.1 to go and you're trying to do the math of what your time's going to be if you run x split for your last 1.1 miles but at Boston they have one a clock right at a mile ago and I remember I saw that clock and it was like two it was like two hours yeah two hours flat like two hours zero seconds and so I was like oh man like if I break five minutes, I'm around 204. Like that's amazing, but you know, 205 sounds good too. Like <laughs> having a PR of 206. Anytime you take a minute off your PR, especially you know when you've been a seasoned marathoner, those minutes get harder and harder to come by. So I was, I was kind of doing a little debate in my mind. I was like, oh man, I can either hurt really bad, try and break five minutes one last time, and and get under 205, or like I can just enjoy this last mile, run like. 5:30 really take like the edge off the pain. I mean, coast around a little bit, give out some high fives, and really enjoy myself. And I was like, no, like this is a. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever have this opportunity again. And I never did have that opportunity again. So I was so grateful that I did make that decision. Okay, like I'm gonna push. I'm gonna hurt. I'll do my celebrating after the finish line. And uh, you know, obviously, was able to push and and break 205, but. I thought that might be interesting to just kind of give you guys a little bit of insight into how I was kind of managing myself after going out so hard. Because I think if you've been doing marathoning for any amount of time, you've probably had that experience where you've gone out hard and really um, suffered over that last half. And I will say this too, that that third way of running, that slight positive split, that although I think it is faster than negative splitting, and a lot more painful. It is definitely, and this needs to be said, a lot more risky than 
and that's the riskiest of all the ways you can run i think even split is the best way to run for sure um, a negative split is a ultra conservative feel good way to run you're gonna have a good experience you're gonna feel amazing probably and it's really conservative like you'll probably have a good day but you will not reach your max potential in my opinion because uh, you're leaving a whole bunch of time on the table because that whole first half of the race like instead of bagging time or or maintaining time to hit your goal marathon time you're actually like conceding time you're losing five to ten to fifteen to depends how much under your threshold are but every mile you're losing time and it's really difficult to make up all that time so even in my case at the olympic marathon trials like i did not even though i closed four minutes quicker over that second half i still didn't make up as much time as i could have I still wouldn't beat myself if I would have just run an even pace and say run 208 pace the whole way. I think I was probably in around 208 shape on that day if I would have just run even over the course of the whole whole race. So I don't know if I convinced you guys of that or not, but at least maybe that gives you something to think about and at least not to like beat yourself up for being like, man, I ne never negative split a marathon. Like I've like I said, I've only negative split one marathon my whole life. So the fact that you don't negative split your marathons, not necessarily bad. Um, the key is to try to run as even as possible. And there's a little bit of guesswork involved with that. I would say, cause I think kind of the next question that you, you're probably thinking listening to this podcast is like, how do I know where my threshold is at? Good question. <laughs> um, you know, we get a pretty good read of where your threshold is at based off of your training. So it's in your training where you learn where your threshold is at. And so there's different ways to assess where your threshold is at. It can be by effort. That's kind of the old school way that, you know, we used to do before the days of GPS watches and such. And uh, so that that's one way to know heart rate is a is a really a more tangible way to know so you can kind of know through your training being like okay i can sustain this heart rate for a 15 mile threshold in training so then you go out and race you just park it right at that heart rate and and that's a really good way to know um so there's effort level there's heart rate and then of course there's pace but you have to be a little bit it pace is the least reliable way to know where your threshold is at because the conditions change from day to day, the course obviously that you train on is probably different than the course you're gonna be racing on unless you live in Boston and you're racing the Boston Marathon course. But then there's all these variables, like the pace of your threshold, I think it changes as you taper. So your, your threshold pace when you're training really hard is to say it's at like a six minute mile, for example, and then you taper, you freshen up, you start feeling way better. And also now your threshold is at like 550 pace. So if you go into the race and you'd be like, well, I know from training six minute pace is my threshold, then you get yourself in a little bit of trouble because maybe you're leaving some time um, out that you get during that taper that actually helps you. So that is a little bit on why I think negative splitting is overrated. Let's talk about fueling for the marathon. And I'm just going to tell you guys exactly how I fueled when I was running professionally. And I got this, like I, I mentioned, uh, Dina Caster and Andrew and uh, Meb, they're all up in Mammoth training when I was training. So I got this from these guys and from my coach, Terrence Mahan. So, you know, this is not my original thought or idea. I will give you some of my kind of 
developing thoughts in this area though uh, since my time is running professionally. But uh, just to start with, you know, what we're able to do at a professional level is obviously a lot different than what the general public has access to. So when we're running professionally, we get special bottles put out on tables every 5K of the race. We can put whatever we want in those bottles. So what I would typically do is I would start with the more diluted strength of Cytomax is what I would use. That was my, you know, Cytomax, Gatorade, Powerade, uh, Martine, I think Martine's probably the best thing out there right now, if you had to ask me. Um, uh, what else is out there? There's a whole bunch of different things you can use. but So I'd use Cytomax. I'd dilute it so it was like 50 calories. Actually, I think that first ball had like 25 calories of performance beverage of Cytomax in there in six to eight ounces of fluid, depending on the temperature. And that's something that should be said too. Like how much you take in really depends on the temperature of your race. You're gonna need a lot less fluid if it is 55 degrees and perfect than if it's 80 degrees in Boston and steamy. Like you're gonna need to drink a whole lot more, like double the fluid intake if it's those kind of conditions. So just be aware that like this is a blueprint for you guys that I'm laying out, but you need to really pay attention to the conditions and also pay attention to your body too. Like if you're being like, well, Ryan took in eight ounces every three miles and you're like throwing it up by mile 23, but you're like, I gotta, I gotta drink this before we get to the finish line. Like you need to pay attention to your body. We're all different. We're all different sizes. We all are able to absorb these things differently. So always like let your body be your guide. All right. So anyways, I would take in that first bottle at mile at 5K, be six, eight ounces, 25 calories. My next bottle would be full strength. So it is six, eight ounces and 50 calories. And then the bottles would all be the same after that, except for at mile at 20K and 30K. So that's mile at 12.4 and um, 30K is 18.6. So both of those bottles would have a gel that was already mixed into the water. So I didn't have Cytomax in those. I had a gel that I was using and I'd mix it in the water so I didn't have to like rip a gel off and try and drink it and choke down some water that I'd grab from the tables. Um, so those had 100 calories in those. So I was getting two gels throughout the course of the race, and that second gel would have like 50 milligrams of caffeine in it to give me a little bit of a hit of caffeine right when you need it the most, right around mile 18, 19, um, when that wall's kind of coming up. And that's kind of a side tip for you guys. Um, if you are really nervous about hitting the wall, and I just say this in general, it's a really good thing to take some additional caffeine. I know I've talked about caffeine before on this podcast, and it's um, obviously a performance enhancer to take it before your marathon, but then taking a little hit. And again, I'm not talking about like 200, like don't take a no dose in mile 20 of the marathon. Like that's a lot of caffeine if you've already had some in your system, but just a little hit, 50 milligrams, hundred milligrams most. Again, it depends on your size, how used to caffeine you are, but just play with that in training. Try taking a little bit of caffeine, say if you're doing a 23 miler, try taking a little caffeine at mile 19, see how you feel. Um, just play with that one a little bit because that little hit of energy can make a huge difference if you take it at the right time. So caffeinated gel, uh, 30K. And then I would take another, uh, then they another regular strength bottle at 35K. So that's like what, 23? No, no. That's 21. And then at uh, 40K, so that's like 24 point whatever, I would take a diluted bottle. Because, so here's the deal. 
think about this with your fueling during the marathon. So it's most, and this is where my my opinion of fueling and how I did things has changed a little bit. But think about it this way: when is it easiest for your body to absorb calories? Think about that for a second. When is it easiest? It's easiest when your body is not in the most distress, right? So our body gets more and more physically stressed from what we're doing as the longer the race goes, right? So it becomes very difficult to take in a bunch of calories at mile 23. So that's why we dilute that bottle at mile, what did I say, 21? Or no, I said it was normal, huh? It might've been diluted a little. No, it was normal. Like, and again, a lot of this depends on your stomach, what you've trained your stomach to handle. I'm gonna talk about all this a little bit later on. And then that that last bottle at 40K, sometimes I wouldn't take it because you only got 2K to go. Um, oftentimes I would take it and that would be a diluted bottle with I think like 50 calories and six to eight ounces, but I would almost never finish that bottle. Um, I would just take it a couple sips and then chuck it. And the reason, one kind of, pro tip for you there on that last bottle and in the late stages of races. And I am going to go back um, to what I was talking about just a second ago. Um, But that last bottle, if you just even just swig, and I got this from Terrence when he was coaching, he's like, if you just swig some sugar in your mouth and then spit it out because like you're having a hard time absorbing it, um, just that alone gives your body like a little plit quote unquote placebo, it's not really a placebo, but it makes it think that there's uh, calories about to come in. And so it kind of starts responding as if calories are coming and it'll give you a little bit of extra energy without you having to put something in your stomach when your stomach feels like it's about to throw up. And if you put anything in there, it's gonna come back right at you, you know? So that's kind of a little tip, like even like if you can put a little glucose tablet, you know, like for diabetics, they have these little glucose tablets, you can buy them at Walgreens, any pharmacy, and you stick that in your shorts and you take that uh, right at 40K, give yourself just a really quick little spike of sugar, can be super, super helpful at that stage in the race. So anyways, back to my question about your body and when it's able to absorb calories. It's easiest at the beginning of the race, right? Because like I said, it's getting more and more stressed as the race is going on. So it's really important. And this is where like, I don't fully understand why I diluted that first bottle. I feel like I would have, I think it's because I was already topped off because I had just been carb loading like crazy, had a good breakfast. And then I took a gel right on the starting line right before the start of the race which I should have mentioned that at the beginning, but that's what I do. I take a gel like as I'm walking to the start line basically. So then, you know, 15 minutes later, three miles later, you don't really need more calories coming in, but I think I would have been better off to take in a a full strength bottle at that point. Um, Just because my theory on fueling is that you need to train yourself in training you can train your stomach to be able to absorb calories and absorb um, hydration water during training but it's kind of like the more you can take in the better off you are now you got to be sensitive to like there's all these different effects of taking in water and carbohydrates during your run you know so it might not just be stomach distress but if you're say if you're doing a long run and you were able to take in like a thousand calories or something and you're like well my stomach was fine but i felt like super bloated and really like 
big and heavy and like my legs felt like trash then like you need to listen to those signs signs as well so it's not just like how well did your stomach handle it but it's how well did your whole system handle it and so the only way to know this is through training and like i said you can build up how much you're able to process and your body's able to process but the only way to build up is to practice in training that's why it's so crucial to practice your fueling every single long run every single long threshold run and practice it exactly how you want to do it in the races but you might have to build up to it so you might have to start with a lot lesser levels of calories especially and then slowly slowly increase the amount of calories you're taking in during time so i realize you guys most of the people who are listening to this podcast won't have access to bottles that they can put out on on tables. So if you're not a pro runner, what I'd recommend, if you have family, if you have friends coming to the race, spread them out on the course and give them bottles, have them hand you bottles. Like if you can take in your own fluids, I think that is ideal. Um, Because you want to take in the exact fluids you're training with. You don't want to train with one fluid and then be like, oh, they got Gatorade out here and it's green. I've never had it before and just be throwing it back, you know? Like you want to train with exactly what you plan to use in the race. So with that said, really important that if you're not going to have family, you're not going to have people on the sidelines that can hand you stuff. And if you're a pro, you're not allowed to do this. (laughs) Um, If you're an elite in the elite crowd, you're not allowed to have people hand you stuff from the side. But if you're just a regular... Uh, runner you are so I would I would strongly recommend doing that but if you are not able to do that you're not able to have friends out there you're not able to get your special fluids do your research well ahead of time like three months before when you start your marathon training you should find out what beverages are they going to serve on the course what flavor of those beverages are they going to serve on the course what gels are they going to have out there you want to know like all your fueling options that you're going to have in three months prior to the race so that you can practice with those exact same drinks all right because you want to get your body used to it because your body is just so fine-tuned with what you put in it and if you throw in something foreign into it you can have some big time stomach distress out there and we definitely don't want to ruin a whole bunch of hard training a whole bunch of hard work because you're drinking something that your body's not used to so do your homework ahead of time find out what they're serving on the course it should be on the website if it's not on the website find an email shoot someone an email find a way, talk to someone who ran it uh, in previous years. Hopefully they're serving the same thing. I'd recommend email the race director and be like, what are you guys serving out there? I need to know so I can practice in training. So um, I'm actually also too, uh, we just shot a whole bunch of new videos uh, for a run free YouTube channel. On one of the videos that we shot was how to drink out of cups. Cause I know for you guys who are drinking what's served to you, it's obviously not ideal to have to stop and take in those fluids. If you're out there and you're running like, I don't know, eight minute pace or slower, honestly, I'd recommend just stop and walk, grab your fluids and throw them down quickly and then be on your way again, rather than like miss out on those fluids. I think those fluids, those calories are more important than losing 10 to 15 seconds um, to stop and take in those fluids. Cause those, the calories is a lifeline. It's what's going to keep you from hitting. It's what's going to allow you to run through that wall. Right? So if you are running faster than that though, um, you know, you're probably going to want to grab your drinks and drink on the run. So we have a video coming out that I show you guys how to grab those cups. Cause there is like a method where you grab it and you pinch it and then you're able to drink out of it without 
having it spill too much all over the place. So you can look for that video on our uh, Run For YouTube channel. Should be going live fairly soon on that. So um, it might be difficult for you guys to get in six to eight ounces of fluid every three miles. And also too, like think about it this way. For me, when I'm get, getting fit, uh, eight ounces of fluid every three miles, that's every 15 minutes, right? So if you're running a lot slower than that, you may need to take in fluids more frequently than that. And I think that is kind of the best way to do it is think of it as like an IV drip into your system. Like the more hits, kind of the better. Um, obviously there's a cost and for us, like we're running fast and it is hard for us to drink and run at the same time. So that's why like for us, we don't take a whole lot more than those uh, traditional eight bottles along the way. Um, but if you're able to, I would try and just space it out more. So instead of taking in uh, six, eight ounces every three miles, try taking in you know two to four ounces every mile or every other mile so that you're getting more frequent hits. We want to keep your blood sugar in a stable position. And the only way to do that is either have you in ketosis where you're, uh, and I don't recommend ketosis unless you're running slow, in which case it could be a good option for you. Um, so we wanna keep your, so either ketosis or it's by drinking all the time, taking in calories all the time. Obviously you guys can also, you know, tuck gels into your pockets, into your sports bra, whatever, um, hold them. I do not recommend though, I'm glad I, I mentioned that for a second. I don't recommend holding bottles, all right? So if you do wanna carry bottles with you, and I don't recommend that either, just because that extra weight, it doesn't seem like it makes a huge difference, but it really does. It It's gonna slow you down significantly. So unless you're running, you know, fairly slow, like five hour marathon or something. I don't recommend bringing your own bottles with you, but if you do bring them, bring a belt and wear them on your belt because it makes a big difference where that extra weight is. If that extra weight is on your feet or your hands, it's gonna slow you down a lot more than if it's around your center of mass, around your your stomach, around your back. So just make sure that you're not holding bottles, um, but you know, gels, stuff like that, that's easy to hold, easy to have on you. Um, I would definitely recommend taking those with you. And you can get creative too, guys. Like the big thing with fueling is it's simple sugar, right? So you don't have to be like forcing down these like gels that you hate when like you can be eating any kind of candy that you crave that's like a low fat or fat free, better yet candy and then make sure you're obviously your hydration you're taking in water with that because water is going to help you digest it so anyways i want to make sure i go back to my original thing is you want to be taking in calories early on in the race because your body's less stressed it's more able to absorb these calories so you're not going to feel like it you're gonna get to that first bottle and be like i don't even want this right now but take in the bottle, like drink the fluids, take in the calories. You're gonna be thankful when you get to mile 23 and your body's not able to absorb the calories and you're like bonking super hard, all right? So to prevent the bonk, we got to take in sugar early on and often, all right? So you want to try and put a lot of your calories up front in the race and then knowing that, hey, when I get to mile 
23, I might not be able to take in any calories and my stomach might be really messed up and I might not be able to absorb the calories I do take in. So we want to get out in front of our fueling, out in front of our hydration. It's like the same thing with hydration, right? They say that you shouldn't wait till you're thirsty because then you're already dehydrated. Same thing with our calories. Like don't wait till you're hungry out there because then it's too late. Like get out in front of it. So um, calories, calories, calories. And I think essentially like as many as your body can absorb and hold well and again the only way to know that is through training so this is something that really needs to be individualized and tweaked according to you and according to your likings so try like whatever you think is going to work for you you can use my model that i described to you guys as like a starting point model and work from that tweak it fine tune it and then just try whatever you find early on in training try to just slowly slowly increase the amount of calories you take in see if that helps you see if it makes you feel better if it doesn't then just go back to what you're doing before um this is something that needs to be practiced over and over and over and over again and refined and refined and refined as you go all right so i hope that's helpful on the fueling component guys oftentimes you know like i think we're not really running into mental barriers out there we're running into physical barriers we're running into not having enough fuel on board and it's very difficult slash impossible to think yourself through being extremely calorie depleted and think that like you can maintain a certain pace when you're just out of fuel like there's no way to think around that like you can still think yourself to the finish line i'm not saying like it's not important what your thoughts are at mile 23 i think it's just oftentimes it's it's more of a physical thing than a mental thing and we can save ourselves a lot of mental trauma by fueling really well fueling well the days leading up to the marathon and then also um, in those early stages of the race and uh, getting out in front of our fueling out in front of our hydration and being really in tune with our bodies right so anyways covered a lot of ground today guys i hope that all you guys are doing well i hope that your immune systems are just on high gear right now hope you guys are getting tons of sleep uh, really good nutrition really good training all three of those things are going to help you stay healthy in this um, time when we need all of us to be at our healthiest version so we can get a control of what's going on with the coronavirus so my prayers and thoughts are with you guys happy training uh, and lots of health to you and your family all right guys till next week i will talk to you later